Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning in to the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of interviews with professionals from a vast variety of industries to help you gain the exposure and the insider info you need to find a career path you'll love. If you're excited to live vicariously through people with super cool jobs, maybe even some you've never heard of, then you're in the right place. If you're looking for step-by-step guidance on how you can identify your unique calling and actually land a job that pays you to fulfill it, then go have a blast scrolling through the nearly 50 other episodes of Answer the Call waiting for you below this series. Today, we're talking all about the exciting and often underestimated field of marketing with Zach O'Neill. Zach is currently in his dream job working as a product engagement manager at Disney Plus in New York. So cool. (laughs) But before that, he's held a host of other fascinating positions within marketing, many of which were at Fox News. You'll love hearing all about his inspiring career story and what you can do if you're interested in pursuing a career in marketing. Enjoy and don't forget to leave a quick rating and review as you're listening. Zach, I have been fascinated by your career path for a long time because as we said, does that, is that creepy? You know, have no. I been lurking on your social media for quite some time? Yes. That's just the reality. <laughs> all right. Am I making you uncomfortable right now? Maybe. But... Not at all. Not at all. I am so flattered. You're, I think you may be the first person to have said that about my career specifically. So that's, I think I'm in the right place for that right now. <laughs> well, here's why. Because just as you were saying before we started recording, I love that you're like, I'm going to do what I find fascinating. Might not be the most linear thing of all time, but through it all, you do have this theme, a really strong one in marketing. So that's why I was especially interested to get your input on what you could do with a career in marketing and what that's really like. So we could just dig right into that. Let's dig. Let's do it. I got my (laughs) shovel. We're ready to go. (laughs) We are ready. So what do you do? That's the first question. (laughs) <laughs> so I am the product engagement manager uh, for Disney Plus. So I handle all of our consumer facing lifecycle communications in regard to Disney Plus, all the different content that's coming out, product features that are coming out, um, as well as acquisition based marketing, win back marketing, trending marketing, anything that a subscriber would see during their life cycle of communications as a subscriber to the product mm-hmm. goes through my department and uh, through me as well. Goodness, doesn't sound important or fascinating at all. <laughs> and I and I probably like cut out a lot of the things that I actually do in that sentence, but I'm sure we'll we'll dive into we'll dive into those things. <laughs> I mean, wow. Okay, I'm taken aback because I don't even know how you would handle all those things. So to hear <laughs> that there's additional matters, wow. Here's another question: What are you all about? Like, just give yourself in a nutshell. <laughs> so I'm an Enneagram Type Four. And I am, and I'm, oh, are you really? Look at that. Yes. Look at that. So, and I'm, and I'm an ENTJ, uh, Myers-Briggs personality. And so I, I'm kind of, I'm a, that personality type sometimes gets a bad rap for being somewhat moody and temperamental and self-absorbed and excitable. And while I am all of those things, I truly, I think that the, the glowing parts about that personality are energetic, hopeful, exciting and constantly trying to innovate, try new things, and just be like an all-around joyful person. And I think that for me, mm-hmm. in any position or any personal situation that I'm in, I've always kind of been like, I, I think some people would describe me as positively negative in a way, like where I can, I can say something really negative and like complain, but I try to be as funny and sarcastic as possible to try to lighten the mood or if I'm, if I'm upset about something, I never want to bring other people down. So I try to like say it with a slapstick joke or say it with just a little bit of like fun attitude around it. So I think for me personally, what am I all about? I'm all about fun. I'm all about working hard. I'm all about innovation. And I'm all about just working with other people. I'm a people Mm -hmm. person and being collaborative in general. And so like, if I can mix all of those things and melt them into a boiling pot, I would say like, that's a marketing person. (laughs) (laughs) Right there is you kind of have to be like the sunshine glowing rainbow all the time in the office. Mm -hmm. But, uh, 
because you're because you're representing something um, in the most positive light possible. It's not really PR. It's more of an exploratory explanation of what the brand is, and constantly being that person who's ready to rep it and ready to say all the best things about it. And so I'm that way in my friendships. I gas up my friends that way. I gas up my family that way. I gas myself that way, and I gas up my company that way. So I feel like that's just that's me through and through as a person. That's what I'm about. I've never heard of gaslighting related to marketing but now everything is making sense also i feel that you personally advocated for me when you described what it means to be an enneagram four because people are there like do you just why are you so moody i'm like i'm not all the time do you know what i don't know <laughs> yeah and to be and to be totally clear i i probably because of my sound i said gas up not gaslight so oh, like big thank positive you difference there. so <laughs> much for saying that because i was like i hope that, i don't gaslight people i mean i probably do but hopefully I don't as much as I would get the rap yeah. for <laughs> yeah wow uh so grateful you clarified that because I was like oh, I'm gonna have to explore that more gaslighting that sounds bad <laughs> could happen gas up also no, a, subtle, a subtle thing that marketers do they do you do kind of have to do that but uh we, we'll talk about that in another day <laughs> yeah that's like customer service when they're like I'm sorry you had an experience that was anything less than positive I'm like no it's right. straight up horrible stop gaslighting like it, me it, yeah like that was awful and you know it and you're just trying to make me feel better like don't do that to me. yeah we're not customer service here we're marketing so <laughs> right right all right so well back to the whole marketing dig thing then what is a career dream of yours big or small i want to be the person who does all of the marketing communications and br planning for taylor swift that is my goal that is my end game that is my taylor swift if you're listening to this just know that i am spending all of these years at these companies to build up my reputation (laughs) to work (laughs) for you um and to plan all of the event marketing and concert marketing create the aesthetic of the event from beginning to end from ticket sales to what's on the screen to what's on the stage to post-production to everything so that's a goal of mine is to take all of my marketing related experience whether it's crm related event related or digital marketing or event marketing and just make it make it a taylor swift concert tour and and an era for taylor swift that's what i want to do era you are going to uh manage an a whole era for an era Um, yes okay exactly well godspeed in that and if you wish (laughs) you have my full permission to download this clip i'll just like send you the raw recording and you could make this into a little clip send it to our agency and be like it's me this is my formal application absolutely like i went on i went on a big time podcast just to talk about my job my future career with taylor swift so that's i will thank you and i will Mm. give you any royalties i make off of that job if i am to get it (laughs) thank you also for calling this a big time podcast on air really appreciate that i should move on to the next question which is how did you come to realize that you wanted to go into marketing so when i came to texas a&m university i knew i wanted to be in the business school and i knew that i wanted to kind of, I, I didn't know what exact path I wanted to do. I, I kind of did that freshman year thing where I went into general studies because I was unsure. And I, mm-hmm. you know, thought about being a dentist for a minute, which I think a lot of people think about going into some sort of scientific degree until they have to take organic chemistry and then they drop organic chemistry and then they realize that science is not for them. That happened to me as well. And so I, I switched over and I applied to the business school and I got into the business school and my dad is a lifelong supply chain management kind of like, you know, he is a PhD in chemistry, but also a degree in supply chain. And he does logistics for Lockheed Martin. And I, I always thought to myself, like, well, he does well. And he's a, you know, he's a smart guy. So maybe I should do that. I took one supply chain class and I was like, this is terrible. So <laughs> ap- apologies to all the supply chain people out there, but I, just, I, don't know how you, yeah, I don't know how you guys do it. I don't know how you do it. I was like, we I don't love know. logistics. Like, FOB shipping points and things like I was like, what does that mean? Like, I, I don't get it. So I, I wasn't good at it. Great career, just not for me. Um, and then I switched over to information systems, which I ended up being good at. So in my next semester, I changed my major to info systems, um, which I think is now called ISIS, which is super weird. <laughs> uh, they must. I really hope that they change that again, because that's just terrible. Like, that's got to go. That's got to go right now. Like, I'm an ISIS major. That's not good. So I, I switched over to that, and I was like, I'm really good at this. I enjoy the types of careers you get to do. But then I realized that I'm just, I'm too much of a people person. And I can't, I can't sit in rooms and do computer things and just be tech all day. Like I have to mm-hmm. go to meetings and I have to speak to people. I have to be collaborative. And so against the, against my parents' will, I would say I actually changed my major without them knowing. I changed over to the marketing, the marketing program um, without their permission because they, they were like, you're going to go to the business school. You're going to get a, you know, a degree that pays well. And I was like, okay. 
Well, in the back of my head, I was like, I'm the kind of person who I think could potentially make anything pay well, and anything can pay well if you're good at it. That's my, mm. that's my MO. Like, it doesn't matter what you major in. If you are fabulous at underwater basket weaving and there is a need for that wherever you are, you're going to be the highest paid underwater basket weaver in history. So, like, yeah. be good at it, have, have passion about it, and move on. And so when I, I, I knew right when I took my first marketing class, it was, um, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Marketing 321. I think that's the entry one. And then, or there was, there was a couple ones after that, like brand management. I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I know it. I absolutely love this. I love everything about this. And I stuck with it ever since. <gasps> love that belief in yourself. It, listen, I'm going to be paid well no matter what I do because I'm going to do well <laughs> on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Call her at work, that. Yeah. Work hard and you'll get paid. Like if you're late, just because you're smart doesn't mean you're going to get paid well because I know a lot of very intelligent people who were very lazy and have not climbed higher in their careers simply because they are their own barrier. And that's just mm. not the kind of person I was raised to be. So some people say you took the easy way out of the business school. And I say, I took my personal way to a higher paycheck. So that's just my opinion. <laughs> okay. I foresee another podcast interview in the future in which you <laughs> tell us exactly how to follow what you did. So perfect. Also, Great. you could feel free to just like throw shade and be like, this is what you should not do. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, okay. In this, uh, great. Okay, perfect. So tell us about the post-grad jobs that you've held up until this point? Okay, so post-grad. My very first job out of college, to give a little bit of backstory about my first job, I interned, technically I was a college associate, they're not allowed to say intern, because um, <laughs> there, like there was like a lawsuit or something. Um, so I, I, was, I was a college associate at Fox News Channel for two summers and four semesters, I believe. So I was like a five-time intern with the broadcast company, and it was an amazing experience. And when I was on my way to graduation. I was about four months out of graduation and they told us as interns, college associates, sorry, even correcting myself, um, <laughs> that you need to reach out to the company to, you know, right before you graduate so that you can get connected with a job. And I was like, you know, I've been interning at this company for a really long time. I think it's the only thing that I really know. I think I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try to apply elsewhere. And so I, I started going down the the path of big four. And I was like, I want to work. I want to do, I want to do human capital at EY. I was like, that's what I was really set on. And I really don't know why I was set on that. I was like, I'm a people person. I'm going to change my entire mindset and go into human capital management and be like an HR person that didn't work out. I didn't even get the job. I just thought I would be really good at it. Clearly they probably didn't. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I was offered an entry level position at, at Lockheed Martin, the logistics company and the missiles and fire control division. I was like, I don't want to do that. I just, and so I walked across the stage at graduation without a job, um, which I feel like is a very, I don't know if it's as common as I like to tell people that it is because that makes me mm. feel better. But um, my parents were very upset. They were like, why didn't you take any of these other jobs? Why didn't you look harder? Why did you only wait for the one company that you've interned at? And I was like, well, because I feel like it's going to work out. Like, I really do feel like it's going to work out. And um, so <laughs> I kind of rode that to the bank all the way across the graduation stage, like kind of like throwing a peace sign to my parents who were like crying in the audience, you know, like our son's a failure. <laughs> And um, I was like, it's fine. It's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. I moved home. And about three weeks later, I did get a call to be a freelance production assistant at Fox News Channel, which like my mom and dad kind of balked at the idea of that because I was paid hourly. I was an hourly non-benefit employee and I had to move there. Um, and they said, can you be here in nine days? At, in Manhattan, ready to go in nine days as an assistant. And I was like, um, yes. I just didn't even hesitate. I was like, yes, sure. I, sure. So I um, called my mom and dad and I was like, um, I'm moving to New York in nine days. Apologies for the interruption to your daily life, but um, I, I, need, I need some help packing and I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And my parents luckily were very supportive and like helped me pack and helped me, you know, get connected to the roommate that I ended up having. And I, I actually reached out to someone in the Aggie network. Her name is Jordan Knesset, as everybody probably, not everybody's listening, but a lot of people who went to A&M know her in the business school. Um, and mm -hmm. she connected me to my roommate. And nine days later, I was standing in my office in New York City as an assistant, overdressed and looking like a total moron. And they told me that my very first assignment was in the social media department. And so I was a freelance production assistant for social media for Fox News Channel and Fox Business Network, which at the time meant launching some of their more innovative platforms for the election. And so during the 2016 election, um, as, an, as a production assistant, I traveled with our social media manager and social media vice president to the debates, 
the, you know, all of the inaugural election events, the anything big for the 2016 democracy, like the Iowa caucuses, any of those things. I was there doing behind the scenes Snapchats, doing Instagram stories, posting photo albums to Facebook. So I was like a field production assistant or field producer for social media. And then right after the 2016 election, I was promoted to producer of social media. And I spent about a year, I want to say a year and six months as a producer producing primetime content for the Foxy Channel, Fox Business Network, social media pages. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and what was Snapchat. I don't even think they're on Snapchat anymore. So like RIP to my first job, whatever. It got me my second one. It got me my second one. So I don't really care. But so I was working primetime hours. So during that year and six months, I was working 2 to 11 p.m., which if you're living in New York is kind of an odd experience because like you, you wake up and all your roommates are at work and then you come home and this 1130, your roommates are in bed, but there's so many people like going to work at that time. So when I left my job at 1130, there were people coming in for the overnight shifts. There were people coming in for Fox and Friends a couple hours later. It was like a 24 seven business that kind of just like wore on me after a mm -hmm. while. And I was like, you know, I, I loved what I was doing. I loved social media. I was I, I, I feel like I was good at it. I feel like that was a career that I definitely could have stuck with. And I just decided that, you know, I wanted something a little bit more stable and I wanted something mm -hmm. that was a little bit more, a little bit less intense with the day to day. And like, I, I loved like what I, I loved getting to cover major political events and having such a say for major news events and things that were happening cross-culturally and cross-country and internationally. My some of my beats aside from the election were domestic and foreign terrorism for Facebook and Instagram, which is awesome to be at the forefront of leading the charge of telling people the most important things they need to know. But it also wears on you a little bit emotionally because, you know, when things like the Ariana Grande Manchester bombing happen or when school shootings at an elementary school happen, there are, there are things that I don't even think people who are consuming news on social media don't even realize the toll that it takes on the social media producers who have to do it and yeah. the newscasters that have to do it. And it's just, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to be a journalist and to be able to tell people the most important things they need to know. But it also is just heavy. It's heavy all the time. And so we, you know, in, in journalism and in social media for news, we look at the happy stories, the police officers having tea with kids, the superheroes washing windows at Baylor Scott and White, the, you know, just the really happy things where people are ringing bells, you know, after they beat cancer and the viral videos of dogs making snow angels. And like, it sounds so not newsworthy, but that is what gets people through the day when it's your responsibility to cover the worst parts of humanity at the same mm. time. And so while you gain a lot of experience, you also gain a lot, you grow up really quickly. And I think that that job for those two and a half years that I was in the social media department really helped me grow up when it came to real world issues and also helped me get my skill set within social media marketing, both paid and organic, um, and how that cross collaborates with all the different editorial pieces that go along with it for, for web and SEO and all of those things. And so I, I decided to quit my job at Fox News very abruptly. For better or for worse, I walked in and I resigned from my job. I called my mom and I was like, you know what? I, I can't do it. I, I, I want to move back home. I miss Texas. I miss the simplicity of life. I miss, you know, I miss having 28% more of my paycheck not being taken out by taxes. And, and I would say I kind of just panicked. I panicked yeah. because I was like, I'm so worried that I'm going to be doing this and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it forever. And I miss my friends and family and oh my God, and it sounds like such a soft story. And so two weeks later, I was back in Texas and I had accepted a job during my resignation time at AM. Primary care, private equity owned company in, in Irving. And the job there, I spent, I spent one year. I spent one year doing this job. <laughs> one year. That's... I spent one year doing this job. And it was, I was the marketing manager for, for this primary care acquisition style uh, company. And I was doing everything. I was doing consumer facing marketing, win back campaigns, product marketing, all of our brand awareness, brand establishment, marquees floor plans and design aesthetics for the clinics, like everything under the sun from a marketing perspective, from email to social media, CRM, patient retention, Google reviews, online reputation management, anything you can think of. And so for that entire year, I, I really, I didn't have a social life that year. And I, mm -hmm. I, kind of, I kind of resigned myself to this 
this ideology of I gave up on New York and now I really have to just go after this job and I, and I want to go after this job. And I, and I tried to convince myself that it was a job that I really wanted when in fact it actually wasn't. It was a job that I took because I thought that I wanted comfort and simplicity over something that made me excited every day to wake up. And that is just, mm-hmm. and that, and it ended up being very not true. And I, and I found that out about six to seven months into my job. And I, I, I did what I, I did what I do best. I resigned from that job a year later. <laughs> and two weeks after that, I was back in New York. I was back in New York. I, so I do that fun two week turnaround thing every time to myself, which made me gain 30 pounds the first time I did it. And I, I, I you know, I just, I kind of let go of myself and I was like, I have to get out of here. I have to go back to New York. So I called my vice president and I was like, Hey, I heard you're launching a streaming service. I saw the position online and there's a marketing manager position for that. And he used to be someone that I indirectly reported to on the social media team. And so he was like, yeah, do you want the job? And I was like, yeah, I do. And so I went through the recruiting process and I did all the interviews and spoke with the right people. And hilariously, this is a side piece that I completely forgot about. Before I even reached out to my vice president, I was in New York for the Gary Vaynerchuk, like daily deep dive. It's like a Mm -hmm. little conference that he does for about 10 people. My company sent me there and um, there there was- That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, I was really cool. It was really cool. There was a bomb threat in the Time Warner Center. um, Bummer. And and we had to to leave the building. And I was like, oh, darn. I guess I'm going to go see my friends over at Fox because, you know, I haven't seen them in like eight months and ran into my vice president and he was like, hey, we should catch up. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. And then when I saw Fox Nation two months later show up on LinkedIn, I was like, that's what I should reach out to him about. I, I, I know I need to make this jump right now and get out of here. And so I reached out and I said, I want to get out of here. I want to come back to Fox. Fox is my home. And um, I did. And he hired me. I'm so very thankful for that. It was, I can't believe I got out of that as quickly as I did. And Using all of that experience from, you know, social media to holistic marketing, I took over as marketing manager for Fox Nation, which was the streaming serve, the entertainment streaming service that's owned by Fox News Channel. And I spent a year and six months building that platform from every angle left and right from the event side of marketing. I was able to plan the event experience around the Patriot Awards, which is a national award show, the Super Bowl activations. And then I was also in charge of redesigning and rethinking our engagement strategy around email and customer relationship management and overseeing our social media editorial and creating the bridging the gap between broadcast marketing on linear and how we run television spots for an entertainment service on a news channel and speaking in the educated language of entertainment to news to broadcast and creating what Fox Nation currently has as a holistic marketing department. And then we hired all of those people to take over individual positions. And I kind of figured after a year and six months, quarantine hit. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm ready for my next big adventure. And I'm ready to I'm ready to move to something that I'm more excited about, which um, was Disney Plus. And I loved everything about Fox. I have nothing negative to say about Fox. But when I saw Disney Plus launching, I was like, that looks like a, that looks like a, a long-term career for me. And that's mm-hmm. where I want to be. And I think everyone who I work with at Disney would tell you, I'm so pumped to be there. Like more pumped than I've ever been to be literally anywhere else in my life. And I, I'm ready to take on this long-term position in the marketing department with Disney and to lead the charge on engagement strategy and customer relationship management from a product perspective and just continued growing and developing in this. You know, Disney Plus hasn't even been live for six months. There's over 50 million Mm -hmm. subscribers. It's an opportunity that we, you know, are so excited to manage and so excited to be a part of. Like, who wouldn't say yes to working there? Who wouldn't take on that opportunity? And so looking back at my my career trajectory, I, I always tell people, I I felt like in the moment I made a lot of wrong decisions, but at the same time, I feel like there are no wrong decisions because every decision you make will eventually guide you to exactly where you were supposed to be in the first place. And so I can't sit here and say, well, what if I had stayed a social media producer? What if I had stayed in Texas? What if I had stayed at Fox Nation? I don't want to know that because I am at the company that I love and that I want to be at for a very long time. And so giving up and moving and panicking and making a split decision, like all of those things were irrational, but they were the behavior that that was my feeling at the time. And I indulged myself and I did what I needed to do for myself. And I'm so happy I did. Like, sure. Yeah. Did I gain 30 pounds and have to work out for six months to lose it? Absolutely. Did I, you know, do I have anxiety that I have to deal with because of some of those decisions? Absolutely. But I think I would be 10 times worse if I gave into the peer pressure of remain static because 
you don't want to rock the boat. That is just not mm-hmm. something I've ever been. And that's not something I ever will be. So holistically, yeah. that's a, that's, that's post-grad for me up until now. I mean, there's so much more interwoven drama. There's so many, there's so many little dramatic things that I could get into for another day, but that's the, the high and low of post-grad for me. <laughs> we could just turn this into an audiobook if you'd like, but um, okay. So I want to ask you about the different specialties. If you could kind of break it into branches, like kind of help people picture pillars of marketing that they might be able to explore and go into. And I'm also just curious, follow-up question, is there an aspect of marketing that you have not yet touched? (laughs) Because it seems like you've had such breadth in what you've done. (laughs) Yeah, let me let me start with in my head the pillars of marketing that I, that I think everyone has to kind of learn about in undergrad mm-hmm. or before they start a career. And a lot in a lot of places, some of these are considered separate, but in my head, I think they all kind of fall under the circle of corporate marketing. The first one is communications and public relations, which is more corporate level press releases, um, social media editorial from a corporate standpoint, corporate branding, corporate brand standards, editorial standards, kind of someone who focuses more on the linguistic side of making the voice one voice up from a corporate perspective and Mm -hmm. being that corporate tonality when something happens and being the voice of when big events happen. So corporate communications, comms and PR, I think falls into one bucket. And then next to that, I would say falls or like traditional organic marketing from a corporate perspective. And that is more of your, your branding, your brand standards, your logo, anything that represents the company visually, whether that's what goes on the press releases, the, the editorial, the brand standards for your social media posts, the way that your website is laid out, how you take corporate communications and spin it to be the visual of what you do and how you represent your brochures your one sheets, your internal marketing collateral, any marketing collateral that goes out from a consumer facing perspective in your stores, in your clinics, in your building, in your, on your signage, on your guerrilla, you know, campaigns that you run on billboards. That's, you know, the traditional organic marketing. And then a spinoff from that is your digital marketers who handle the organic, the SEO, the Google analytics, your paid social media, your win back and automated email campaigns, any type of digital campaign that is run to a consumer. So it's a little bit of a little bit of everything that touches a consumer from a digital touch point, whether that is email, social, SEO, AdWords, any type of ads you're running, digital ad spots, pre-roll, mid-roll on YouTube, basically monetization of ads from a digital standpoint, whereas your organic marketing is kind of, you know, you're branding on bus stops and you're branding on, you, you know, you see how those are coming. So you have corporate PR, you have corporate communications and PR, you have your organic marketing and guerrilla marketing, and then you have your digital marketing. And I think that aside from that, and this is one thing that I was always taught at May's Business School that marketing was, was uh, sales. You know, you have sales marketing and sales collateral. And I, I, I will say, sales is an extremely necessary part of any company. You have your account executives, your digital account executives, your, you know, your traditional ads that you put somewhere, your you know, your brand partnerships that you do, your, ma- your, your days where you partner with major corporations for volunteering, for commercial programming, for, you know, people who buy segments for, on TV, from people who buy your brochure, you know, any type of thing that an ad sales or ad representative would, you know, buy for your company. And then on the flip side of that, if you're on pharma sales or if you're on, you know, corporate sales for whatever you're promoting, you know, you go out and you're those field sales rep- representatives. And I will say the only area that I have not touched in marketing is the traditional go-to-market sales. I've done sales collateral and I've done sales strategy from a digital and acquisition perspective, but I've never done face-to-face product sales in my <laughs> life. And I feel, and I feel like, I, I don't know if that's for me. I did, a, um, I did a sales class in undergrad at A&M that I really liked, but I just, it just didn't feel authentic to me. Like, I feel like for me, like I want to, re- I want to represent a company digitally and be their tone of voice rather than go sell a product. And I think there's a time and place and there's a lot of money to be made for sales, but it just wasn't for me. So I think that those are your pillars of marketing, at least from my perspective that I've seen um, at every company. Gotcha. Thanks for that super effective overview. (laughs) I loved that. Uh, So what are some common misconceptions about marketing? So excited for you to spill the tea on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Common misconceptions about marketing. Let's see. Uh, the first one is uh, you will never make any money. I think that is like a, I think that's a, that's the first one. It's marketing pays nothing. Marketing is like the easy way out. Marketing is just mm-hmm. like people who make brochures and people who post on Twitter and Facebook. And that is 
so, 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 so far from the truth. A lot of parents view marketing as what it used to be. You know, 20 years ago, digital marketing and paid marketing and the e-commerce flows that we have and the way that we run digital media in general is nothing like it used to be. It is every company is going digital right now and having something in your back pocket, whether it's an understanding of SEO and Google Analytics or an understanding of paid social media or an understanding of the different tools that companies absolutely should be using will make you one step ahead of all of those, for lack of a better phrase, older people who are trying to apply for the same job who have zero business applying for a digital marketing job because they really just don't understand what they're doing. And I think that the younger people really do understand like companies like they, we see emerging companies like TikTok, whereas older people don't, you know, like yeah. people don't see TikTok as an ad revenue based service. That company is go is huge right now because of the ad yeah. revenue that they have in between videos. Vine was the same way. Vine, Vine ultimately failed, but like, <laughs> so, yeah, RIP to Vine. But like in general, misconception about marketing is that it's, is that it's easy. And that it's just oh, like a thing. No, that a it's thing. freaking hard. It's not easy. Marketing is not easy. There are easy jobs in marketing. And if you don't want to grow, but I think a job is as easy or as hard as you want to make it because you can, you can ask for more responsibility. You can innovate your position. That is how you get promoted. Yes, your traditional entry-level marketing coordinator jobs for a general marketing major, someone who's majored in it, are probably not super tasking, but they are the necessity, the necessary entry point to grow. And so, yes, your entry-level jobs, sure, in marketing, they are not the highest paid entry-level jobs, but that absolutely positively does not mean that they are not well-paid and that they are mm-hmm. cheap. I think another misconception of marketing is that it is only sales. Everyone, and that's a misconception that I actually learned in undergrad and I, I fought tooth and nail to try to change at career fairs was marketing isn't just about, you know, marketing, a, a pro, you know, product marketing is such a misconstrued term or misconstrued term because that's not just creating brochures. That's not just going and selling a product. That's what I do from a product marketing perspective is, is vastly complicated compared to what I think people consider marketing a product actually is because so many things go into product marketing. They go with global voice, global reach, communications and PR, the way that we represent the in-product experience from the beginning of the funnel, like from organic social to paid social to ads we run to in-spots to the onboarding experience to when they hit play to when they decide to eventually either phase out, cancel, or stick with it. You know, that Mm. product marketers have to think of life cycle as a whole. And it's not just about like, oh, I got people in the door and now I just gave them this brochure and now they love love the product. It's the whole thing. And here's something that has really, my mind has changed so much about it because I was with you in the business school and I don't know about you, but I feel like marketing gets such a bad rap as a major, like just from the beginning, if you're in the academic environment, and it's kind of seen as honestly the easy way out. But now yeah. what I realize, oh my gosh, I, I totally am eating any words that I made, <laughs> was using to make fun of marketing every single day of my life because now I feel like it's almost all that I do. And um, one thing that's really changed my mind about it is think about it. For the company that you're working for, if mm-hmm. the marketing isn't working, why would your operations job matter at all if your company is not connecting with the people that you're meant to serve? You can't do your job if they're not helping you make money and connect you with the people you're trying to serve. You just can't. You can't. And it's so interesting. And to to go off a real life example of that, at at that healthcare company that I worked at in Dallas, it was so interesting how marketing had this reputation of we only need one person in it because it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's frivolous. It's just branding. It's, you know, they're just posting on social media, this, that, and the other. But then when it came down to getting patients in the door, yes, it is extremely important from the in clinic experience to have an operational flow that is seamless and to have a logistical flow for all of our medic, any type of medical devices or medication to be seamless and that inpatient experience to be seamless. However, we're not going to have patience if no one is talking about the company in a sophisticated yes. digital way. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you can't just buy ads in your local newspaper anymore. You have to think outside of the box on how to get people to go to your clinic versus the hundreds of side clinics that are in their neighborhood. What makes you set apart? Is your website built correctly? Is it easy? Does it have a good user interface? Does it have a good user patient portal? Are you speaking to all demographics on your paid ads or social media or organic? anything that you're doing. And so 
a lot of the misconceptions that come from, well, marketing is necessary, but they're the first to get laid off. And if you lay off marketing, that's where you lose the top of funnel new customers and new patients that you will literally never see again, because that's the competitive space that you have to be in, in any company, hands down, hands down. And so I think the biggest misconception is A, it's the easy way out, B, it doesn't pay well, and C, it's not necessary. Mm, all ridiculous. Yes, ridiculous. <laughs> well, oh, glad you man, could I'm, those I'm away. personally offended by all three of them, but whatever, that's life. <laughs> Uh, me as well now, even though I was once a perpetrator and I am so sorry for that. I'll just have that recorded. I'll forgive you this once. Kelsey. Everybody you. gets one. Everybody gets no, one. No, I'm totally in line now. You don't have to worry about me at all. Hey there. I hope you're loving this rapid fire conversation with Zach as much as I am. But let me just say, if you're listening to this episode right now, because you're interested in making a career pivot of your own, then I'm here to help you do just that in record time without the stress of analysis paralysis or fear of making the wrong choice. If we haven't met yet, I'm Kelsey Kemp. I'm a career coach specialized in helping Christians discern their unique calling and practically land a job that pays them to fulfill it so you could have an impactful and meaningful career. Trust me, I get it. Picking a singular career path out of the sea of options, then making a potential industry pivot to get into that line of work can all be insanely daunting. That's why I created the Deep Dive Career Coaching Program so you could have me by your side walking you through each step of a career transition from discerning God's will for your life and what path you're truly called to take to finding the exact job title that aligns with it, to actually getting hired for that position with confidence and speed, I'm here to be your personal career coach from start to finish. My signature two-month private career coaching program includes seven weekly coaching sessions with me, access to the library of guides and workbooks I've created to propel you further and faster to your goal between sessions, as well as unlimited support from me in between sessions to help you nail down all the practicals like your networking strategy and your messaging and your resume and interviews and negotiations to make sure it's an offer you're comfortable with. I am going to help you save a load of time and stress and dead end job applications. I can tell you that. If all that sounds like a dream to you, then I want to formally invite you to apply for my deep dive private career coaching program. To take the first step, go to my website, kelseykemp.com forward slash coaching to learn more and book a free 30 minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you work through your unique challenges as well as achieve your highest goals so you could fulfill the vision that God has put on your heart for your career. I only work with people who are ready to go deep, do the work and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you and you're ready to accelerate your path to building an impactful career aligned with who God made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com forward slash coaching to learn more and book a free 30 minute consultation with me this week to get started. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, now back to the episode. Tell me about your typical day in the life, like your hours and the tasks that you spend most of your time doing. Yeah. So um, in my previous life, you know, it was, you know, I, my two to 11 job prime time. And then from the hospital, it was kind of just like, you know, crazy hours all the time. And with Disney, I have direct reports that I, I report into people on both the West Coast and the East Coast. So mm-hmm. I technically, I live in Manhattan and I report into the New York office, but my direct manager is actually in California. And so it makes it kind of interesting because like, I'll start my day with like, you know, dropping her a line on all the projects and getting her caught up to everything I'm doing. And then her day starts three hours later. And so she may send me things overnight that I catch up with and cycle through in the morning. So we kind of have this collaborative environment where she doesn't expect me to respond super late at night. And I don't expect her to respond super early in the morning, but we've created a system of where it works for different time zones. But my day in the life really consists of, I, I wake up, you know, I, my personal day in life, I, I work out at 545. Um, oh, so you're I'm, one of those people? Yes, I'm a morning person through and through. That's my Enneagram type four makes me just this like neurotic crazy. I have to start my day and end it early. So I'm an early start and an early end. And so 
I, I work out at 5.45 Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And I start work around 7.45, 8. I just start sifting through emails and I start going through projects for the day, catching up on status reports, and then diving into any of the major projects that I currently have assigned to me. And in the digital slash streaming slash television world, those projects kind of change on a daily basis. You know, you I have ongoing projects that I have to make sure are moving and moving the needle on. But then there are those emergency last second projects where it's like, hey, we need to grow our subscriber base here. Or, hey, we have to switch out IP on these, these four emails. Or, hey, we need to get with ops to understand why this didn't deploy correctly. And so product marketing is so interesting. And it's the most, it's, I think it is the most wide ranging scope of job I've actually ever had over even my job at the hospital or job at Fox Nation, because we move out of the traditional organic space and we move into the actual ops marketing operations process on how marketing speaks to people. And we have to be at the forefront of what are the new innovations that are coming out thinking about how we're going to start adapting to those as a company, what product features are we are coming down the pike and how can we start building the go-to-market marketing plans for those? And right now we're doing that with at least three to four things with Disney Plus and then, you know, with, with four of those things for product features that are coming and then we have exciting new, you know, we have exciting content that's coming so our one-off lifecycle editorial campaigns or new titles coming or we're creating new collections for things that are happening in society. And so like my day wakes up and you kind of have to think from a holistic perspective of what's going on in every camp at our, at our company and how can I support that in every camp? And I, I have extremely great support from a senior perspective of, you know, my manager sits down with me and we go through the priorities for the, for the quarter and for the week and short term and long term. And we tackle those first and we get to the fires as they come. But you know, my day consists of like, it's a long business day of just making sure that trains are remaining on the track, no matter if they're moving or not, they're at least still on the track. And there's nothing that can prevent them from falling off the track, whether they're moving or not. But yeah, no, my day consists of, you know, writing communications and copy to creating triggering actions to creating in app message capability to rewriting and redoing IP and creative and copy on our different win back consumer facing one off life cycle editorial campaigns to you know, you name it, we do it. We're a holistic marketing service. There are departments for everything, but we kind of touch everything in product marketing and create that one voice and tonality for Disney Plus as a whole. And I'm super, super, super honored and super excited to be a part of, you know, waking up every day. And I wake up every day with the biggest smile on my face because I'm like, I freaking love getting to do this every day. I love that my day consisted of writing an email about Frozen 2 for like 10 different countries and going through the translations process and figuring out what is culturally relevant from a tonality perspective in all of these other countries mm -hmm. that Disney Plus is in and thinking about our product from a global perspective and thinking about diversity and inclusion from every country's perspective and leaning into their culture and leaning into communications, ads, and PR from every point of view from all of our audiences. And so it just, it makes it so much fun. And I know that that sounds like, well, how can you get all that done in a day? And the answer is you don't. But we, we think about all those things every day and how our projects have to be taken from United States only to global, to scaling that to every subscriber we have to whatever you want to call it, we do it. And so my day just consists of ideating, creating processes and operational flows and all the way to the actual creative, the templates that we use, the copy that we use and the voice and tone, working with all of those different individual people within the company to make all that happen. That's what product marketing does. And we're super, super, super excited to do it. Oh, so my gosh. that's it. Yeah. I am both elated, fascinated, and then also having an anxiety attack listening to all the things that you're doing. Um, no, me too. Do you have a bunch of minions that also help you accomplish this? So no, I actually, I don't have any direct reports. No minions. Actually, sorry, I don't want to hear this then because that is insane. No, like, and, and, and you know, I think of the, the product marketing team, like the way that the Disney structure is built out is like, we all just, come, we're all on the same playing field and we all there to get the common goal. And so, yes, I mean, like, I'm not, solely in charge of any of those things you know what I mean like there are there are marketing managers for everything mine just so happens to be engagement manager and like we have senior fabulous senior copywriters who do all of that work for us on a daily basis we have marketing operations managers who really oversee that flow and have like the best understanding of how the CRM should work and how those back-end projects work and those different product tools that we have work and so no that's not just like one person and and I want to make it very clear that like our jobs are collaborative 
they're oh, not like all encompassing. So like okay. I, I work with other managers to get that stuff done. It's not just me. It's not just product <laughs> marketing does it. It's like our marketing ops people, our lifecycle comms people, our, you know, engagement strategy. We have all of those employees and we're all working together to get campaigns off the door in a different way. So it's okay. just like, there, there's like a hundred me's basically who do all of the different things as well. So it sounds like I do a lot, which I do do a lot, but everyone else does a lot as well. <laughs> Thank you. This is making more sense now. Also, it sounds like a fun place to work if it's a hundred years just scurrying around. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Disney, Disney is, um, Disney is a hell of a fun place to work. I'm not going to lie. It's a great, great environment. That's so awesome. Okay. Rapid fire. Tell me, what do you love? What's a little less glamorous about your job? Oh my god! I think I, I think I kind of covered everything that I love about it. I love yeah. getting to. I love coming up with the voice of a product and communicating directly with subscribers and coming up with creative ways to get people to engage with our product or engage with our features. Like I love puzzles like that, and I love. Yeah. I, I also love refreshing brand creative and being on the forefront of being able to say like we have all these amazing new shows and movies and theatrical releases coming out. How can we incorporate them and excite our subscribers or excite potential prospects into subscribing? That's something I love. You know, like from a, from a less glamorous perspective, there's nothing I dislike about my job. I just think that from any job I've ever had, the one thing that's always difficult, and this is with any marketing job, is finding your way in to collaborating with other people. And I think mm -hmm. that there's always a challenge with being as delicate as humanly possible with, I'm not trying to take something from you. I'm not trying to take something away from you. I'm actually really just trying to work with you. Mm -hmm. And so coming up with a way to finesse your role as a new employee in any company is always the most challenging and less glamorous part because people, you have to build up trust with people, right? Like, sure, you, yeah. you know, sure, I come from Fox News, but like there are people who come from Goldman Sachs and Deloitte and Uber and tech startups and companies who are way cooler than that, who may say, you know what, cool, that's great. I also come from a big company. What makes you this? And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. what makes me this is that I want to help you do this. I want to support you in this way. I'm not trying to take anything from you. I'm not trying to be the boss. I'm not trying to say that my ideas are better. I want us all to come in and collaborate together and work towards a common goal. And that is always, Disney included, Fox included, anywhere I've ever been, has always been just hard as a new person to do. But yeah. but you do it and we do it well. And I think that there's been no problems with that. And it, while it's awkward to be a new person in any company and start, you know, trying to like, say like, hey, I'm here and I have all these ideas, you know, knock, knock, me again. I know I'm new and I'm bothering you a lot and I have a lot of questions, but I know that we're all going to get to a common goal and it's going to be exciting and people are like, yeah, whatever. And then it finally happens and everyone's like, okay, now I see the point of coming together and working out of silos and doing all of that. So I'm, I'm very excited to see, you know, the, as, as Disney grows and as even as Fox grows, looking at what their company is doing and as even of all my previous positions, just seeing what happens, you know, in the next few years with everybody and, and how everybody gets to grow. Because if you're not open to growth and change, that's going to be your biggest downfall. And I think that the challenging part about being an employee in marketing is being that voice of reason, but also voice of innovation that kind of rocks the boat every once in a while when it's absolutely necessary to and not being afraid to speak up. And so having courage to speak up about something you believe in is also something that's less glamorous because it may not be the popular opinion at the time, mm -hmm. but it also may be the most necessary thing to say. And mm -hmm. um, even though you have people that disagree with you, I think that you gain a lot more respect when you stand by your opinion and you support it with data and you support it with you know, a data-driven decision and something with a historic backing rather than just trying to jump into something and not and, and, and you, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit there, but I, I do think that we have to be very cognizant of the way we represent ourselves as marketers and with the way you represent yourselves as an individualist where you don't get left behind when it comes to ideation and processes that, and innovation. Um, that's challenging for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's such an interesting aspect to the conversation that you're bringing that I didn't think of so much, but of course, yeah, you would have to collaborate a lot. And of course, now that you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, that, that is delicate, especially in the creative space. Or, um, yeah, yeah, creative people like myself and as, as a type four, everyone is sensitive about their work and everyone is proud of their work. And there's a delicate balance to providing constructive feedback and also providing guidance and some and a reason for why you said it rather than just mm. I don't like this you need to be the kind of marketer who says I don't like this and here's why and here's an example of how I think we could do it better love it but I always try to go into any type of conversation with yeah I really like that idea but have we thought about it this way or what if we did it this way and we kept part of this without just saying no I don't like that idea I'm gonna completely scrap your idea because your idea is, is irrelevant and useless like that's not mm -hmm. how you collaborate or work with people and that's not providing constructive feedback and a lot of people in the marketing space luckily not where I am or where I've been 
but a lot of people I know in the marketing space are just very one track minded and refuse to be open about those things. Mm -hmm. And so trying to be that person who's like the, at dawn, we ride with new ideas is always a little bit harder than it than it sounds, you know, on a blog. <laughs> Aren't most things that you find on a blog, it's just a just a tad bit harder in real life. Like the LinkedIn seven steps to being a leader at work. I'm like, oh, only seven? Okay, great. That'll be easy. I'll be a CEO in no time. Whatever. That takes Whatever. so much time. Like it is hard to be a leader in any space, it, it, no matter what you do. It is hard to be a leader, whether you're charismatic or you're natural, you're a natural born leader, quote unquote, whatever you may be, it is always going to be more difficult than seven practical steps to, you know, collaborating in the work environment. I'm sorry. I think that's, I think that's silly. What do you mean, Zach? I thought that the world was just 2D like that. Stop trying to, you know, it's it's very complicated. You're nice to people. They're nice to you. That's as easy as that. That is so false. It is not even funny. So, <laughs> anyway, win friends I, I, and I, I, influence I, people. Oh God, I digress. I digress. So we can move on to the next question. Yeah, I'm about to get off to. Okay, we gotta we gotta keep on track. I've got three more questions for you. So, one, Great. what do you think someone would have to have in terms of qualities or strengths, and also like and be just okay with in order to be a pretty good fit for marketing. Yeah, from my perspective and from I think any marketing perspective no matter what pillar you're working in, you have to be open and receptive to the word no. And you have to understand that even though you're a creative-minded person and even though you're very passionate about some of your ideas and maybe all of your ideas and maybe you really did think through those things and maybe you did work your hardest and that was the best you could possibly do and someone still said no, I don't like that. I think that one of the things you have to separate you have to be able to separate as a marketing person is when you feel attacked, it's important to remember that that is a feeling and it's not a fact, you know, Mm -hmm. and that a way, a a rhyme is when you feel attacked, that's a feeling, not a fact, because at the end, at the end of the day, at the end end of the day, that's the way that it is. It's no, no one is nine times out of 10. Everyone is in their own world and they may have something going on that you don't know about and they're stressed and they want to get their goal done. And so their feedback may come off as a really harsh critique or you may actually get a really harsh critique or you may just get someone saying, no, 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 I don't like it, fix it. And you have to be able to take those kind of high level critiques and high level ideations and say, okay, got it. You may not fully understand what they want. You may not fully understand their vision, but that's the whole point of marketing is that no one is ever going to fully agree on creative. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and that goes with creative as well. Like, not everybody sees ads the same way. Not everybody sees logos the same way. Not everybody, yeah. and you know that just based off of those general tests you have to do in site classes of how does a brand affinity work towards a consumer? And everyone sees it differently, and you have to be able to say, I disagree, and here's why. And if you lose the battle, sometimes you just lose the battle, but what you have to do is in the back of your head say, I know that we're going to lose that battle and I want to be ready with the data to show why we lost that battle because you will not always win as a marketer and you have to have the, the gusto to be able to in so many professional, in a more professional way, be like, well, here's what I believe we could have done. It's like the, I told you so of the professional space of I lost the battle, but I won the war in the end because my, my decision-making did in fact prove to be the way we should have gone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to have your, you have to let people fail in order to see the whole group win. And so <laughs> be, being, being, being yeah. okay with the word no is the most, is the most important piece of advice I would give anybody going into marketing. Your ideas will get shot down. You will get told your creative is terrible. You will get told that this is not on brand standard. You will get told that that idea is never going to happen. It's never going to fly. Never, 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 never. And then eventually you start to adapt to what you know your leadership wants and you know that your, your core team wants and you start to slowly innovate as you go because once you start doing it the way that you're supposed to, that's when you can start iterating in a creative way and you have to be strategic and sophisticated about how you approach new projects. You can't just walk into a place and say, this is how we need to do it because I learned about it this way in school and I know it's going to be wrong. Like no one wants to hear it that way because guess what? They've been at the company likely longer than you and they're not, they need to be convinced. They don't need to be told they need to be convinced. And that is the biggest thing is so many people graduate without the ability to persuade. You have to be mm-hmm. able to persuade people to your opinion and why you are right. And if you cannot do that, you will never win in marketing. Because if you can justify your points from data or visuals or any type of monetization, fiscal ad revenue, 
you can go to any department and justify the need for something if you have the proper backing to do so. And so it takes someone who has thicker skin and be not be afraid of the word no, someone who is okay with like pivoting to something to help better orchestrate what they know their team wants in order to ideate later and taking that small loss to make it a bigger win. And someone who's just ready to work hard. Marketing has long hours that are a lot of times very underappreciated by those other functions. And so you have to be able to take what you do and find joy in it. Otherwise, you're not in the right space. Those, mm-hmm. are, the, those are the things I think you have to be. And that's the kind of person I think you have to be as someone who's just, who's ready and willing to maneuver, pivot, adapt, and be joyful with, a, with just your, in your inner self about having to do those things because you know in your head where you want to go and where you want to be. And it should bring you joy to know that you're going to take the proper steps and make everyone happy on the way to do it because there's no sense in pissing everybody off and forcing your way to get your way that way because you can do it that way. Mm-hmm. You can do the, we're going to do it my way and I'm going to prove it to you. And so you do it and then you're right and then you win. But you didn't gain any allies. You didn't mm-hmm. gain any collaborative people along the way. People don't really trust you, even though you did that one thing that you said I told you so about. So, no, you can't. You can't Doesn't just matter. be a. Yeah, you can't just be that person. And so, I think that's that. In a nutshell, is the core tenets of what a marketing person should be like: creative, innovative, ready to change, ready to pivot, ready to be like laughed across the face with the word no, or having to start over at the ninety-nine percent completion point. Just doing it because that's life mm. and being able to accept that there are things that you'll just never be able to change about some things where you work. I'm totally picturing you every day walking into work, like putting on the armor of God and one of those being like <laughs> data to back up my decisions yeah. Yeah, and like, the art I wish of I, persuasion. <laughs> I wish I could like make a TikTok that has those words around me. Like I point this way and it says like data-driven decisions analyzing the situation, collaboration, you know, like that's that it. It's lame and textbook as it sounds. People have never changed since the dawn of time and everyone wants to feel important and you have to make people feel that way, even if you're a leader, so. <laughs> Word, yes, absolutely. So, okay, let's say someone's getting to the end of this interview and they're like, oh, I think I am a budding marketer. I think I want to do this. Yeah. What would you suggest to them to get their foot in the door? Maybe from the perspective of, let's say someone's like mid-20s and they're wanting mm-hmm. to make a pivot yeah. into it. And they're like, do I have to go back to school? What would you say? It's so interesting because, you know, one of the people, I've worked with people in the past who have, you know, they have law degrees or they have finance Mm -hmm. degrees or they have, you know, English degrees or history degrees. There are people in marketing who come from every core tenet of education, I think. And any core business functionality, any liberal arts or, you know, humanities study who have made their way into the marketing space in one way or another. And I think that what the first thing that people need to do is take a look at their current career path and determine what of my current job or previous jobs or degree or different projects that I have worked on in the past can be transferable to another industry, whether it's marketing, communications, PR, or whatever, or sales. And then say, okay, then how am I going to convince someone of that? Like I know in my head, okay, all, like I, there are a few things that I could definitely, it may be a stretch, but here's something I think I could definitely provide value in from a marketing perspective. And then finding ways to flesh that out and having those core examples whenever you start speaking to people. And I think another thing is looking at job descriptions because what you'll find is job descriptions can be very similar, but they can also be very, very, very different. And so instead of looking at like the traditional day-to-day, look at what the core abilities and necess- like necessary skills are in that job and say, okay, I already do this. I do collab. I have a collaborative. I'm able to work in a fast paced environment, which is on everything. I can lift 30 pounds over my head. I don't know. I don't know why that's on all of those job descriptions, but it is. I've never lifted anything over 30 pounds over my head at a job, but like it is, I know how to, I know how to write. I write professional emails. I've done presentations for high level people. Okay. I know how to do this. So then what skills am I missing from this and how can I get them? And I think a lot of times people are like, well, I have to go back and get a degree. And that's not true. That's really, really, really not true. I think one big thing that people can start doing is there are, this is one way, and this is not a way that I would traditionally agree with, but I think a lot of people are starting to do it a lot more. There are certifications, micro degrees, certificates that you can get for digital marketing. You you can take boot camps. Like I know a guy who did a data science boot camp, and now he works at Moody's Analytics, and he didn't have a background in data science before. I think that, that people are taking those certifications a lot more seriously now, because I think many people are in that same boat, not even with marketing or 
maybe some people want to pivot to finance or accounting or whatever. Like I would never, but like, you know, there are people that- We would never. (laughs) We would never, like never, never, absolutely never. But like there are those very strange people that would. Um, No, but I, I think that there are certifications that you can look up and take. And if you're not willing to invest that kind of money into it, I think from a personal standpoint, start consulting people start taking on like you're someone always knows someone who has a small business that needs help whether that's pro bono help or running their social media accounts or running editorial or writing blogs for them or whatever it may be take an unpaid volunteer job that you can put on your resume that you can show as examples of your professional writing hone in your skill in a place that it doesn't even matter make Mm -hmm. the mistakes in a consulting way so that you can either continue working for that person or jump to the next person don't let it tarnish your reputation by trying to lie yourself into a job that you're not ready for right at least start at least start building up some skills that you can showcase to say, yeah, I haven't done it from a really major corporate perspective, but I worked for a couple different small businesses and here's some PR releases I wrote for them. Here's the blogs that I wrote for them. So I've honed in my skills this way, or I've, I've run social media on three different places for two years now from a paid and organic perspective. And people think, oh, well, it's just a small company. No, like skills are skills. It doesn't matter if mm-hmm. you're doing it for Disney or if you're doing it for the company your parents own. You use social media the exact same way. The tools are not any different. Sure, it's 10 times more intense at a company like this because you're running hundreds of campaigns. But the fact that you know how to run and operate digital marketing is all that matters. You have a foundational, fundamental skill set that will be transferable. And so I think start building those skill sets in any way you possibly can. Find someone who needs help. Take a class if you can. Go back and get a degree if you really want to go back to school. I don't recommend it. I think it's a huge waste of money. But yeah, like, same, I, same. True, and time. Yeah, true. Earning potential. Time. We hate it. We're not here for it. <laughs> yeah, we're not here. I'm not here for that. I, I don't think I have to go get a degree to get a raise. I think that's stupid. I think that you should hone in your skills, polish your skills, and prove yourself over saying that you have a degree. Flashing mm-hmm. a master's degree in someone's face, if you suck at marketing, means absolutely nothing. Flashing a 4.0 marketing degree in someone's face basically means I knew how to study. If you have yeah. zero job experience in it, it does not freaking matter that you have a degree in it. That's my personal opinion. People can disagree, but I, I, I think that you can hire anybody in any field if they are good at what they do or if they have the desire and the mm-hmm. fundamental skills to learn and grow in that job. You can grow in marketing for sure. Whoa. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just coming down off of a high from listening to that really really intense TED talk. I loved it. Loved it. Loved <laughs> Thank it. you for coming to my TED talk, Kelsey. That's what this ended up I'm like on a, I'm on a soapbox. I need to come down slightly. No, no, no. Feel gotta... free. Stay. Stay. No, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Especially since I just have one last question. So what? I just hone it all in on the last one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All your energy, make it, just make it count here. So uh, is what is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned in your career thus far? Oh, I, I, you know, I'm going to tell the same one I tell everybody. I, I would say one of the, the most important thing anyone or any job has ever taught me is do not preemptively apologize for the work that you have done. Because, and that example comes in this way. When you send an email to your superior, it doesn't matter if you're a coordinator, a manager, a director, or a vice president, and you write this sentence I'm not sure if this is what you're looking for, but let me know. Or if you say, hey, like, I, I, you know, I tried my best on this. I'm not sure if it's what you're looking for. Or like, people immediately plant seeds of doubt in their own work for absolutely no reason. Your manager, director, vice president, very much, very likely asked you to do something because they needed to get it done, not because they had a perfect way in mind. And the fact is, you likely will never get it right the first time. So do not plant seeds of doubt in your superiors' heads, your colleagues' heads or whatever, by immediately, you know, degrading your own work by saying, uh, this could be, this may be wrong, but um, this is the best, you know, this is what I could do, or in the time given, this is the best we can come up with. But I think the most common one truly is not sure if this is what you're looking for, comma, but. Because that means they're going to open this up with the immediate thought of it's probably not what I'm looking for and I'm going to find something that I dislike about it. Because it's a negative tone. You're setting your own negative tone for no freaking reason. If they dislike it, change it. Pivot, adapt, and change it. Do not apologize preemptively for work that you have absolutely no idea if it's wrong or not. That is the one thing I would say to anyone at any level. You should be proud of the work you do, whether you knew what you were doing or not, and you should be open to feedback and criticism to change it if you weren't, but never plant a seed of doubt ahead of time by apologizing for something 
in an email or in a project or in an intro. Never, ever, ever start on a high note and give that person the ability to take their own thoughts, their own opinions, and their own mindset into what the work you have done. Because if you start at negative, it will always nine times out of 10 end negative. And even if you start at positive and you do end up doing it wrong or you do have problems with it, it is very likely that your boss is going to come back to you and say like, thanks for sticking by your work. Um, can we change this, this, and this? You can say, absolutely. Yeah. Glad to know that's what you were looking for. I'll change it right now. And then guess what? He knows that you're a go-getter and that you're going to adapt and you're going to take that criticism. And feedback or she and knows. It. Or she knows. If you say, if you apologize ahead of time, it makes you look insecure and they're not going to want to give you true feedback because they think you're going to no. take it too harshly. If you're doubting yeah. yourself, they automatically assume that you think they're doubting you too. So like, you don't want to set that up as a playing field of your boss having to tiptoe around your emotions because you don't think you made the spreadsheet the way you should have. It's a spreadsheet. It's not life or death. You're not getting fired over it. Own your work and move on. Ooh, ooh. I really wish that people could see the video of this to see like the intense like finger <laughs> pointing action in the, yeah, oh, like so much I, passion. I'm very dynamic with my hands. I do this a lot. I do, I do this. I'm holding my computer steady on top of a pillow with my other hand. So I'm actually kind of glad they can't see it because it's very like sketchy looking, but like I, um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm very, I'm, I've always been like this. I knock over water bottles. I knock over posters. I, I hit people oh, in the too, office constantly. by accident. I'm a flailer. I'm an, yeah. I'm an emotional flailer is what I would call it mm -hmm. when I present. And so I'm feeling yeah. the same way now. I feel, I feel inspired after this podcast. I feel like I need to go talk to my colleagues and just be like, we can do it guys. We can do it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you could get pumped up off of your own stuff. That's the best. I know. That's a type four at its finest. I just gassed myself up. Just like I said, this, this came full circle. I gassed them up. I gassed new hires up. I gassed everyone in the crib. And then I ended up gassing myself, myself up. Type, type four to a T right there. You and me both. Well, oh my gosh, Zach, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all that you did. And now I'm having intense hand motions and we're, we, maybe we should just stop. Okay. We're having <laughs> a moment so together right now. Are, we are. Well, thank you. This was the best. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Anytime. I'm, I'm always here to talk. You know I can never shut up. So anytime you want to have me, I'll be here. If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the Job Library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other Benchable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.